Yeah, that. Hey, we're going to have a great time. Hope you'll make it uh, be with us. Hey, on, the, on the stage, you can see there's a, there's a table with me. I don't know when's the last time you've thought about all the amazing things that happen around a table. Um, a lot of great stuff happens around a table. Uh, depending on your family background, the table may have been a place where uh, you did your homework, um, which doesn't sound all that great, but it prepared you. It developed you. It was a good thing. Uh, the table may have been a place where you had some family meals together. Um, in, in my family, that was a big deal. We had incredible conversations. Uh, my parents kind of built into us emotionally. We didn't understand that at a time as kids. They built into us some wisdom, and we had some great food. My parents uh, grew up in Appalachia, so we had some incredible food around a table. Uh, in the Bible, tables are all over the place. I think of Psalm 23, um, where the psalmist David writes that God is so good and so powerful that he can prepare a table for us right in the presence of our enemy and we can sit down and be at peace and be nourished in him in the middle of ridiculously difficult and dark circumstances. Jesus met around the table with his disciples regularly. They had food together. They broke bread. We celebrated communion last week as a church where they literally sat around a table and Jesus gave them one of the most important spiritual lessons that the church would ever receive, that his body would be broken so we could be made whole, his blood would be spilled so that he could fill us with every spiritual nourishment that we needed. Now, a lot of great things happen around a table. When I think about this particular table, there's a handful of empty seats up here. We're going to talk about filling some empty seats around the table. But I wanted to start by telling you a story of something that happened in my life around a table. Um, just a year and a couple months ago, some of the people in this room were there when this happened. I didn't understand it at the time how spiritually impactful it would be, but over the last uh, 14 months or so, it has become more and more impactful. And I tell you this story because we're finishing up a message series on the Holy Spirit where we've been looking at gifts of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. And we're going to continue that today. In just a moment, I'm going to have you pull out your message notes. We'll fill in some blanks. And then I'm going to answer some questions uh, that you have generated over the last few weeks, both on your Connect cards last week, in emails, and in conversations. But let me take you back 14 months ago. So uh, Pastor Will uh, says to me, hey, I have a friend uh, of my dad's who's involved in this amazing ministry in Africa. And the guy, the missionary on the ground who does that work, his name is Daniel. He's going to be here. Um, I'd love for you to meet him. And I said, hey, why don't you see if you can arrange a lunch? Uh, we'll get together and meet him. I love to hear stories of what God's doing around the world. And I, I'd, love, I'd love to do that. And so Pastor Will did the thing in the email, and we, we coordinated. And we ended up sitting down um, right, right over here at Liberty Center and having a, a really nice lunch. And um, I just did what I always do in these situations. I just come with some questions and try not to over-talk. Because I want to hear the stories of what, what God is doing uh, on the cutting edge of the ministry uh, around the globe. And so Daniel and then this, this guy who facilitates that ministry were there. And they were just sharing story after story of God's goodness being displayed. The power of God on display. The, the cutting edge of ministry and lives that were being changed. And souls being one for the kingdom. And, and nothing could fill a pastor's heart quicker than that stuff. But I got the sense about halfway through uh, that meeting that I was literally seated, and I hope you'll give me a little luxury with words here, uh, I was literally seated with a spiritual giant, um, somebody who God was using in a dramatic way, and while that person was not the hero, Jesus is the hero of the ministry, God was certainly using an open and, uh, open and willing vessel, 
So whenever I'm around open and willing vessels that are being used by God, I double down on wanting to be quiet and just open my heart, my ears, my mind to whatever God might want to be doing. So we got done with our meal and um, I said, hey, would you do me a favor? Spontaneous, but do you have some time to, to come by church? I'd like to give you a little bit of money. Um, so just a little side note, not the message, but whenever I find good soil of ministry, personally, I'm going to invest. That's just what I do. Doesn't matter how much cash I have, I'm going to invest in good soil because good soil produces good fruit, right? That's a parable Jesus told. So I wanted to give him some money. I wanted our church to be a part of it. We had a little money uh, left over in our kind of uh, undesignated mission fund. So I, uh, I texted Ilsa, who manages our finances, and I said, look, I'd like to take whatever, there's some money there and give a small gift here. And I, in my mind, I'm thinking, all right, if the church can't cover it, I will. So, so we're, we're, we're good, but we, we had it. So anyway, they come over. And um, I say to the staff, I get her just for you, I said, hey, uh, spontaneous, we're going to have a little prayer in the auditorium. Because again, when I'm around a spiritual giant, I, I want to pray. I, I want, actually want them to pray for me. So I gathered the staff, I gathered everybody, and it was very spontaneous. I said, hey, just stop what you're doing, it'll take 10 minutes. Meet, and we literally met like right there in front of the stage. Um, so we were, uh, everybody who was in the building was here, about seven or eight of us, and they got here, and uh, I said to, to Daniel, I said, hey, would you just, would you just pray for us? Like, whatever the Lord lays on your heart. Now, I, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, part of me was being polite because when you're around a spiritual leader, um, what fills their heart is a chance to do ministry. And prayer is, and praying for people is an opportunity to do ministry. But the other part was, is I really did hope that God would do something in encouraging our team. Um, it was in the summer. And summers around church life can be challenging. Um, and so I was just praying that God would, you know, encourage the team through that. So, so Daniel began to pray. And um, I don't know what you do when people pray for you, but I listen really intently. Uh, there's a couple reasons for that. One is I want to just hear what they say to God. Um, and like in my heart while they're praying, I'm just kind of, well, I do a lot of Presbyterian amens. But that is like an mmm. What that means is I agree with what you're saying. All right, there's no spirituality. That's just me. That's personality, right? Um, so Daniel began to pray, and as he prayed, he began to say some things that normally don't populate prayers, um, things that were more specific about our church. And he began to throw out phrases, and he didn't know any history about us. We had never met, but he began to throw out phrases that specifically matched exactly where we were in terms of the church. And so the staff and I have, you know, lots of conversations about the life of the church. And uh, he was beginning in his prayer spontaneously, unprompted and unprepared, to give phrases in his prayer asking God to do things that as a staff we were asking God to do. And he didn't have an opportunity to have learned that before. They were quite specific. And so he was speaking in his kind of African English thing, real thick accent, very beautiful. And then, then he went into his, like, one of his native tongues, and he, uh, like just his natural language. And that was beautiful to hear. And one member of our team is from South Africa, and she kind of picked up quickly, not the interpretation of his uh, non-English word, but could pick up a few things here and there. Um, and then his language shifted again. And um, at that point, I realized we're in a unique situation. He wasn't speaking in English. He wasn't speaking in his learned native tongue. He had jumped into another language. 
that I don't know what else to tell you other than it appeared to me to be what the Bible describes as speaking in tongues. So here we are in this church 14 months ago. It's happening right here. And he just proceeds to pray. And then he kind of goes around the circle and touches a few people. And then when he got to me, he began to pray in English, in his native language, in this other thing that's going on. And I, I, I'm, doing, I'm trying to do like three things at once. Like one, I'm trying to watch because I'm like, all right, if this gets too crazy, I'm going to shut this down. That's the first thing I'm about doing. Like, I, I, you know, we have, um, we have, we have um, poison darts uh, under the seats here. So if somebody gets too crazy in our services, we just, you don't even know, we just knock them out. There's nobody so I'm like, maybe that's a total joke. But that's kind of the way I'm feeling, right? So that's part of what's going on. The other part of what's going on is, is I'm like, God, you're doing something here. I can't deny that. And I'm watching the rest of the group going, all right, everybody, none of us prepared for this. It wasn't on the schedule. But everybody in the circle is, is aware that this is a special moment. So tears are flowing. Um, all, the, all the physical signs of emotional and spiritual connection are present. And that's not always present when that happens. But it was in this moment, which was really cool. And then when, when he got done praying, there was one member on the team, and it's his story, so I won't, won't, t won't tell you the name and all, I'll just tell you a little bit. But one member of the team, I knew a little bit more about what was going on in his personal life than anybody else may have known. And I was there in a couple of other moments um, before this moment when there was a lot of prayer about what's going on in his personal life. And um, Daniel turns to this member, puts his hands on his chest. And this is a member of our team who did not grow up where this stuff was normal, had never really seen this stuff at all, anywhere. So this was not learned, what I'm about to say, was not learned behavior. This was new and fresh. And he began to pray in English over this guy phrases that literally lined up completely with phrases that had been spoken in the weeks preceding about this particular member of our team. So I'm blown away. I'm like, how does he know this stuff? Right. I, I have a category for that. That's the Lord. That's the Spirit. But it doesn't happen with that level of clarity and specificity as often as some people, I think, try to pretend that it does. I, I kind of think it should happen more, but it doesn't happen every day. So somewhere in between, not at all, and a whole, you know, every day, we're in a special moment. And then I'm watching this guy get prayed for, and, and it, it gets a little weird. So the tears start coming. He starts sobbing. And there was just a brokenness and a humility. And I'm just so happy for him. Because God's just filling his bucket. And um, then, um, then the, the guy starts swaying. Now, I did grow up with some of this stuff. And so my thought is, we're about to have somebody drop right here. Like, he's going to go down. Like, what do I do? So, A, don't ruin this moment. B, don't get, try to take control, because I, I, I'll do that if things get a little crazy. Um, so just let, the, let this thing, it's a safe environment. This is a trusted team. God's doing something really special. Now, he didn't go down. I, that, that didn't happen, but something dramatic. And so when, he, when, when, when we got done praying, it was a really tender moment. Um, people began to scatter. I, I pulled this guy aside with a couple of us and I said, tell me what you were feeling. He said, I, I don't really know. He said, but I felt like I was going to pass out. Now, when somebody who doesn't know about these things is new around this thing or has been 
um, observant of abuses of these kinds of things, and there are many of those, here's a story like this. It's real easy to go into skeptic mode. And that, that's okay. That's natural. Um, we love skeptics around here as long as their hearts are open and their questions are sincere. We love skeptics around here. And so I wanted to know what was going on in this guy's heart and what, what he felt like was going on. And I'm resisting, in my own mind, interpreting it through the lens of some of the abuses I've seen with Holy Spirit stuff over the years. Because without a doubt, everybody in the circle believed, we, we rehashed this multiple times as a step. Everybody in the circle believed that God was doing something special in that exact moment. And for this particular guy, it literally turned a corner for him. So God had this corporate moment with all of us, and at the same time leaned in with one particular member of our team and spoke life to him in a way that sermons and songs and prayers over the last few months had not done. So here I am, a pastor, responsible for the movement of a group of people, not just one or two people, right? One or two people have an experience. I don't have to explain that. That's one or two people. When I'm responsible to move a group forward, I have to think through strategically, how do we talk about this in a way that Jesus is still the hero of all the stories, and we don't get weird and create barriers for people in their growth. And so what typically happens in a church with moments that are hard to talk about, that require deeper thinking, that can be filled with emotion and preconceived ideas, what you typically do at the church with those, you just put them on a shelf, and you don't talk about them. And if you don't talk about things, they tend to drift into the background. Well, that's never been my way. Right, right or wrong, I don't like to do things like that. I like to take the awkward things and put them right front and center and say, let's humble our hearts, value the authority of the word of God, look at what has happened in church history for the last couple thousand years, and ask God, God, what can we learn from this? How can we grow? How would you like to use this to grow and develop us? And I made a decision in the weeks following that, that this calendar year, we would spend several weeks talking about the free flow of the Holy Spirit in this particular congregation here at Port C. And I, and I came to these conversations not nervous and scared, that's not the right emotion, but cautious so that we would in fact help people to know more knowledge, get better theology, and have softer hearts for the Spirit of God. And knowing that when we did that, it would be very possible that what we would do, in fact, is just stir up a hornet's nest. In which case, I might regret <laughs> talking about this. Because at the end of the day, this stuff is central to ministry in the Bible. But it can be a sidelining issue in local congregations. And I didn't want that to happen. So we have really slowed down, taken several weeks to kind of process a lot of things. And then last week, I brought to you what I hope to be a clarifying message. If you weren't here, you can listen online. I want to actually finish that one up. But I wanted to tell you in black and white language what my heart is. Uh, let me start with what it's not. My heart is not that every single person in this room would have an experience like I had in that prayer circle, even like the team member had in that prayer circle. I don't know the ways that God wants to move by his spirit to touch your heart. So the mechanics of how it happened... And what it looked like in a particular moment is not my heart for you. I, I, I don't know how, how I could even manufacture that. I, I've been around it where I feel like it was manufactured, and I might be able to make a lot of you believe it was occurring, 
But over time, that stuff's hollow and doesn't work. So while I, didn't while I don't particularly want everybody in this church to have an experience that looks and smells and feels like those moments felt for the few that were here, 100%, I want everybody who calls this church home, who's trying to follow Jesus, who's a part of this body, to have moments where the Holy Spirit's work is so fresh and alive and powerful that it's undeniable that you met God, that he showed up in a powerful way. And this is actually typically the heart cry of every pastor, every church leader. We don't enjoy just creating programs and holding services. And honestly, if there were a better way for people to regularly encounter God, I'd do it. But historically, and according to the Bible, the preached word of God is the normative way that people receive the truth of God and are transformed by it. It's normative, but it is not exclusive. There are moments when God shows up. And most of the time when that happens, when it's sincere and real, people walk away kind of scratching their heads going, well, that was a little outside the norm. Or that felt a little odd. And you know why pastors don't talk like this? Because there's some 10% of the audience right now going, uh-huh, I knew it. I knew Ben was across the line. I knew it. I knew it. And that's okay. I am across the line. I really am. I just don't know what line you're talking about. I'm talking about the one I'm talking about. What I want is for God to move in freedom in people's lives. So in my understanding is some clarified theology, return back to the scripture, what it says, and a little bit of precision can actually free people to seek whatever God has for them and not fall victim to the excesses that ultimately become blockages in people's hearts. In, in the church world at large today, around the globe, the conversation we're having is not a conversation. The conversation we're having in this church in America today is only happening in American churches. It's not happening on the mission field. On the mission field, they've settled this conversation once and for all about 50 years ago and it doesn't matter the denomination and the theological training. Virtually every missionary is rooting and praying and hoping that God shows up more like what happened in our prayer circle than what happens often in church life. That's just the truth. You may not know that, but you can fact check me. I mean, Google this stuff and see if I'm telling the truth. That on the mission field, it is normal for the Holy Spirit to show up in ways that are wow-inducing, like just blow your mind, fill your heart. And it's really only in America, really, on the, and, and then some in Western Europe where Christianity's struggling. It's really only in America and Western Europe where people are debating whether or not the Holy Spirit operates in ways like this. Let me give you one more story and then we'll go to our message notes. So a couple years ago, um, I made a decision with the encouragement of our church board to go to India and just see firsthand the work we'd been doing there for several years. It's powerful work. Without a doubt, the fruit of ministry there is, is, is just incredible. And our church has gone deep. If you're our guest here, you're among generous people. We built a couple, uh, an orphanage. We expanded a campus. We care for girls. We're helping pastors. This is incredible ministry. 
So I'm sitting with the director at his table having a meal. Incredible hospitality on display. And I'll give you a little secret whenever you're around a pastor. If you want to like connect quickly, here's the question to ask. Um, tell me about how you knew you were called to ministry. Because if a pastor's lasted more than seven years, there's only one reason why they've lasted seven years of ministry. So they believe God called them. Because life will kick it out of you. And often you only have your call. So I've learned when I'm around pastors, I just ask this question, then I shut up, and there's always a beautiful story. So I said, tell me how you knew you were called to Pastor James who leads our ministry. So he, he talked to me about his call, and then I, I asked him another question. Tell me a couple of big hurdles you faced. So he shares with me some stories. So we're getting down to bedrock now, vulnerability. And then he turns to me and he says, well, tell me about your call. So I tell him the story of me being called to ministry. Like the moment that I said yes and I, I mentioned a phrase that may not be anything to you. I didn't think it was significant at all, but it was meaningful to him. Now, I'm going to tell you the phrase. It won't mean anything to you. But God uses this phrase to open up a thing. So I said to him, I'm sitting in college at a place called Lee College, a small little college in um, southeast Tennessee. And uh, I'm sitting in this seat right in, you know, in my mind, I know exactly where I am. This guy's speaking. And in my heart, I felt my heart shift. And I finally said, yes, God, I'll do this. Like, that, that's what happened. And I noticed when I said the phrase, it won't mean anything to you, when I said to the phrase, Lee College, which is where I went, to him, that he stops and he looks at the end of the table where one of his relatives is seated. And he, he stops me when I take a breath and he says, Lee College. I said, yeah. And then he says, I'm not making this up, friends. He says, do you know, and he names a person. Like, yeah, I know that person. How do you know that person? Well, series of events. This person comes to India. I actually translated the messages into our native language from English while he was here. Uh, I think Charlie McCurry's in the room. Charlie, you were at the table for this conversation. It was a strange conversation. And so I went kind of on a discovery mission to just check things out because we have a deep investment there. And all of a sudden, we're just talking. And it's like cultural boundaries are falling, distance, it's all kind of just falling. And then he says, the conversation and he starts talking about the fact that he didn't realize that Four Corners had an understanding of spiritual things. He thought we were a church that was just all about Jesus. Now, when you hear that, that's an odd way to say it. So let me unpack it. He's not saying the negative side. What he's saying is, is in the Christian church, it's always all about Jesus. But in some churches, it's all about Jesus and there's freedom to talk about the movement of the Spirit. That's what he meant. Because in some churches, it's, and it, by the way, if it's not all about Jesus, it's not a church because it's Jesus' church, right? But in some churches, you can talk all about Jesus and you can talk about the freedom of the Spirit. And he didn't know that at Four Corners, he would be free to talk about the things of the Spirit. I was like, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm good. Just talk. And it tore down any division between us. Inst I mean, instantly. I had no idea. So he starts saying, I can't wait for you to come back, Pastor Ben. Because I want to take you where the ministry is cutting edge. I want to take you. And then he starts throwing out phrases. And I'm like, can I back up five minutes and take this back? Because I don't know that I'm uncomfortable with this anymore. He said, here's what he says. I, I want to take you to where when we're doing ministry and we're preaching the gospel, the demons start manifesting in the crowd. I was like, oh, goodness. We've hit pay dirt here. <laughs> you know? like, and he says, and it really shows up at bad baptism. When we say to people, I repeat after us, I disavow all works of darkness. I disavow 
all allegiances other than allegiance to Jesus Christ as Lord. He said, when we get to that moment, he's like, it's pandemonium sometimes. And it's like the further we're out in the bush, the more we see it. And I want you to have a front row seat. And I'm like, oh, God, I don't know if I could have a front row seat to that. And he said, if I'd have known that we could talk freely like this, we would have been talking freely about this a whole lot longer. I share with you those stories because it's only in America that we get all bent out of shape about this stuff. That's just the truth. And I get it. I get why. I I understand it. It, And there's some legitimacy to that. And there certainly are abuses on the mission field in America, without a doubt. But the problem is, as your pastor, I fear that in an attempt, a good-hearted attempt, to keep the weird away, what actually happens, because we don't go far enough to study and understand, what actually happens is we actually shut doorways for the Spirit to work. That's my heart. And I, I say that with all kinds of humility and care, because the last thing I want is weirdness. And I, I know that if things get really weird, I'll have to come to you like the Apostle Paul did, the church at, for, at Corinth, and say, look, here's what Paul says. Um, I don't mind you doing this stuff. In fact, I'm glad you, he uses the phrase speak in tongues. I'm glad you speak in tongues. But you shouldn't be speaking in tongues so often and in such a way that people get confused. So he uses this phrase. I'd rather you speak five words with your mind that people can understand than 50,000 words in your tongue that nobody's understanding. And so Paul is on the one hand saying this stuff's valid. But it can get weird and odd. And at the end of the day, if there's confusion, we're not pushing forward God's mission because God's not the author of confusion. And so part of what has caused me a certain amount of humility and trepidation in this stuff is knowing that just by talking about it, it can get strange. So with that said, let's jump right back into the second part of the message from last week, and then I'm going to field a couple questions and leave a little bit of time for that. So our scripture that we've been looking at last week and today is Ephesians 5. Paul talking to the Ephesian church, and he says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead be, and here's the phrase for today, be filled with the Spirit. Some 30 different variations of be filled with, walk in, um, uh, do not grieve the spirit from Paul. So over and over and over again, he's talking to believers and he's saying, I need you to be filled up with God's spirit. Speaking together, uh, do not get drunk on but instead be filled with the spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs of the spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So let's just jump right back in. We've been discussing the phrases last week and this week, be baptized with the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit. And I submitted to you that I thought that Luke, who talks about the moment in Acts chapter 2 we read last week where the believers were baptized with the Spirit, that Luke uses the phrase baptized in the Spirit in a similar way that Paul uses the phrase be filled with the Spirit. They seem in some ways to be synonymous terms, 
but maybe not completely synonymous. And we talked about how God used human authors to, uh, through um, their own culture and understanding and use of language to communicate in a perfect word of God. So you have Luke, who writes the Gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts. You have Paul, who writes two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul never uses the phrase, baptized by the Spirit, except for in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he says, every believer has been baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. You've been united with Christ as a part of the family of God. So Paul uses baptized by the Spirit in the sense that God immerses you into his family. So has every believer been baptized by the Spirit? According to Paul, yes, in the sense that you were baptized into the family of God. By the Spirit of God, you've been baptized by the Spirit into the family of God. This seems to be a slightly different sense than what Luke is talking about when he describes Acts chapter 2, where he gives us the words of John the Baptist and Jesus where he says, wait for the promise from the Father, and when he comes, he'll give you power. And the the, the word again is used as baptized. You'll be baptized by the Spirit. And this seems to be different than baptized into the family of God. It seems to be endued with power. And I submitted to you last week, you'll have to watch that message, that in my mind, when Paul uses the phrase, be filled with the Spirit, he's indicating a similar experience that Luke means when he talks about being baptized in the Spirit. And then Paul takes the phrase baptized by the Spirit and nuances it in a unique way. And I think that's just the challenge with literature that comes from two different vessels of God being used to communicate profound and sometimes complicated truth. So, on your message notes, here we go. The phrase baptized by the Spirit is used by John the Baptist in all four Gospels, by Luke in Luke and in Acts, and by Paul in 1 Corinthians 12. So the phrase, baptize the Spirit, is used differently by Paul and Luke, but they view man's need and God's actions in basically the same way. So I think that Paul, your next blank, conceived of spirit baptism as the act by which the Spirit makes us members of Christ's body, and this is a once and for all event. So once you've been baptized into Christ's body, you're baptized into Christ's body. So every believer is baptized by the Spirit into Christ's body. But I think that Luke sees spirit baptism as the initial filling by the Spirit after a person trusts in Christ for salvation. So for Luke, what happened at Pentecost is both a baptism in that it was an initial, but it is also a filling of the Spirit. And that phrase is a phrase they both like to use. When you read Acts chapter 2 and Luke tells us what actually happens, when the Holy Spirit shows up, the phrase Luke uses, he says, and each of them were filled with the Spirit and spoke in languages that they had not learned, spoke in tongues, all right? So they both use the phrase filled with the Spirit. That's why for me, it's my preferred phrase to describe a time in a believer's life where they were so overwhelmed with the Spirit of God that some profound things happened. And last week I gave you five indicators that you might be walking in the fullness of the Spirit. We talked about how you would have great joy in God. You would have power for overcoming besetting sins. You would be enabled by God for bold witnessing. You would have enthusiasm in worship. And you would be effective in serving the body. That if those five things were were present then we could say, according to Paul and Luke, it seems like the Spirit is operating in fullness in your life. You're filled with the Spirit, right? 
So it's interesting that neither Luke nor Paul it ever admonishes anybody in any of their writing to be baptized by the Spirit. They don't choose that phrase. They don't say, go seek this. In fact, Luke's, or Paul says it just happens to you when you come to Christ. All right? So Paul means when he talks to people about being filled with the Spirit, what he means is, this, have you been united to Christ by the Spirit so that you are part of his body, uh, specifically with baptism? And so. Have you been baptized into the body of Christ? Every believer would, be say, would say yes. But Luke means, with the phrase, have you ever once been so filled by the Holy Spirit that you overflowed with joy, had victory over besetting sins, and were made bold to witness? So Paul would have called this experience being filled with the Spirit. Luke would too, but Luke also uses So the language gets odd. And in that confusion, all kinds of weirdness has developed. So the whole point of this exercise over the last few weeks is to bring some clarity to those words so that we would be comfortable enough theologically to seek all that God might have for us. So let me just ask you the question again. Have you as a follower of Jesus ever had a moment where you were so aware of the Spirit's work that it resulted in great joy in God, enthusiasm for worship, victory over besetting sins, boldness for witness? Incredible effectiveness and service. If so, then at that moment, Paul would say you're walking in the fullness of the Spirit. You've been filled by the Spirit. Now that can happen literally at the moment you gave your life to Christ. For some people, it doesn't seem to happen that way. For some people, it seems like, and this is a seems because I can't take you to one passage in the Bible that explains all this stuff. I'm piecing together lots of stuff trying to make sense and be consistent. The clearest mark that you're handling Scripture well is that you can consistently handle the issues that arise biblically when you deal with a thing. So we're trying to be consistent here. It seems like for some people, they give their lives to Christ and they're baptized into the body by faith, but their lives lag behind in development. They still struggle with besetting sins. Like the same ones trip them up over and over. Paul would say your solution is, here's his phrase, be filled with the Spirit for that challenge. That's what he would say. Some people seem to like come to Christ, but there is this lack of joy in them. Paul would look at that person, if he were blunt, he would say, and he did over and over in Scripture, be filled with the Spirit. And often he would attach in his writings the word joy to being filled with the Spirit. Some people are, filled, are, are baptized into the body of Christ when they come to Christ by the Spirit of God, but they don't have boldness to live their life as a witness to the things of God. Paul would look at them and say, then what you need is more of the Spirit of God to walk in boldness. So once we get past the theology, the question really comes once we embrace that theology, have had the full conversation about it, not get past it in terms of leave it, but we've embraced it. We're moving on now to action so we have understanding. The question becomes, are you walking in the fullness of the Spirit? If not, then God wants to do that in your life. He wants to fill you with his Spirit. And when he does, it looks like overwhelming joy, victory over besetting sins, boldness in worship. It looks like effectiveness in service. That's what it looks like. And when those moments happen, you may also have emotion. There may be signs of the Spirit operating. There may not be. We don't, we're not told what it looks like when it happens. We're only told what happens after it happens. So this brings us to a part of the debate that happens here. What happens with this stuff is, is that often 
there's a lot of things added on to this that I think layers and confuses it. So, for instance, Paul and Luke both agree that new and faltering believers in Jesus need a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So new believers need that. Faltering believers need that. Candidly, I need that. So I'm going to give you now just a little technical precision theologically here. There's a term in the Bible in Greek. It's called glossolalia. We translate it speaking in tongues. Lalia, lips, speech, glosso. Um, is a root that means to, uh, to utter. So it's, it's um, languages that are learned or unlearned, heavenly or earthly languages. The Bible seems to indicate some room for both, but it isn't as clear as I would like it to be. But it seems to indicate there are tongues of men that people have not learned that they have the ability by the Spirit to speak, and there are tongues of angels, so like heavenly languages, glossolalia. Luke talks about it and Paul talks about it. But glossolalia in the New Testament is not a necessary part of either Luke or Paul's understanding of being baptized by the Spirit. It may happen. It happened in Acts chapter 2. In fact, of the seven places in Acts where people are filled with the Spirit or baptized by the Spirit, three or four times it mentions glossolalia. The other times it does not. So it seems to be possible but not required. Now this is a defining statement because there are some Christians today who believes who believe it's required if you're going to be filled by the spirit that you speak in tongues. I don't believe that that is a New Testament teaching that holds up under scrutiny. If you want to believe that, okay, I have no argument with you, but I think I've been black and white about where we are as church. We believe all the gifts are valid, but we don't believe that to be filled by the spirit you must speak in tongues. All right? So Paul specifically um, explains explicitly in 1 Corinthians 12 that God does not give the gift of glossolalia to everybody. Not everybody's going to get it. Some will. So while I believe that glossolalia is valid for today, I think it's biblically inaccurate to insist that it is required for spirit baptism or spirit filling. So I think it can happen. And Paul says when it does, in the body of believers with a group of people, there should be an interpreter present. And if there's not an interpreter present, then the tongues should not be spoken in the body in their public worship services. So, with that said, our church's belief in tongues is that they're valid, 100%. But we do not practice them in our corporate setting openly. We believe, along with the Apostle Paul, that it would bring confusion so in our church, mechanically, we say to people, if you feel inspired to speak in tongues, lower your voice and encourage yourself in the spirit. That's what Paul seems to indicate tongues can do. It can be an encouragement for the body when it's interpreted, or it can be an encouragement to you personally when it's not. I'm just pulling from 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. So do we believe in it? 100% as a church, our official position is yes. I do too. But in our corporate body, we do not practice the gift of tongues because we haven't identified an interpreter. When we do, if we do, don't know what that would look like, I suppose we'll let you know. I'm not trying to be silly about that. I'm just trying to take the scripture at face value in a place where I wish we had about eight more chapters to explain the mechanics. But we don't. So we use now wisdom and other scriptures to interpret. So, what then do we allow in terms of ecstatic speech, spirit-inspired speech? Well, in our church, we think that Paul elevated prophecy 
higher than tongues. He actually said that you should seek the gifts, but most of all, seek prophecy. And prophecy is not predicting the future, even reading somebody's mail. It's boldly speaking the word of God, and on, on occasion, that will happen here. Mechanically in our church services, here's what it looks like. If you feel like you have a word from God, you would come to one of our pastors and you would tell them, here's what I feel like God would like our church to know. And at that point, you've done your prophetic work. And then it's on the pastor who has the responsibility to shepherd the people to dispense that information if they believe God is in it. So do we believe in prophecy? Yes, 100%. But mechanically, we've created a structure by which the people who hold the microphones speak words for the congregation pastorally that God wants to speak over our congregation. And then if you have a word for somebody privately, one-on-one, in our church, if you use the phrase regularly, God told me to tell you, and I get wind of that, I'm going to probably take you to coffee and give you a better phrase to use. It's going to go something like this. Hey, I had a thought while I was praying. And I thought maybe the Lord might be in this for you, but it's ultimately on you to decide. But here's my thought, and then you share it. The problem with the phrase, God told me to tell you, is once you utter that, nobody can argue with you. Because if they argue with you, then by definition of your own words, they're arguing with God. That never works. So in our church, we soft roll words of prophecy, and we say, I, in effect, I might be a broken vessel, but to the best of my ability... Here's what I think would be an encouragement to you. Here's what I think that at the end of the day, God has to make the truth of what I'm saying real to you. I don't make it by declaring it's God's voice. And so when prophets around here, and we have a few who are regularly used this way, say, hey, I think I might have a word from God for you, but ultimately it's on you to decide. We're like good with that because if they're wrong, guess what? They're human, they're wrong, no big deal. But people who lead out with, I'm God's chosen mouthpiece for you and your life, and I speak with authority from God, no, we don't do that here. You see the difference? So do we believe in it? Yeah, but it's mechanically, Paul seemed to be interested in how this stuff worked out, not whether or not it did, it was, but how mechanically it worked out. So I've just given you some principles by which we do those things. So if you're praying for somebody for healing and you feel like God tells you God is going to heal this person, they're going to rise up from their deathbed illness, then what I would say to you is is don't put that in God's mouth. You might be wrong. But what you could do is you could say, hey, I really feel like something happened in this prayer and I'm looking forward to seeing what God's going to do as he works in your life. But if you say to a person in stage four cancer, God told me you're not going to die from this disease, I hope you're right. Because it's going to be awkward when you have to speak at their funeral. That's why we don't do it that way here. You see the difference? Big difference. So do we believe in the gifts? Yes. But the gifts seem to be dealt with in Scripture as a mechanical way of how do we have the conversations and operate in the gifts. Next blank. The blessing of fullness or baptism of the Holy Spirit may occur at the moment of conversion and leave nothing to be sought but its preservation and growth or repetition. So if it happened to you, if you started walking in joy, walking in boldness, walking away from sin when you first came to Christ, awesome. If not, D.L. Moody, one of my favorite writers on this topic, said, if not, then you probably are like a lot of other believers. You leak. And by that he means not that the Holy Spirit's removed from you, but the fullness of the Spirit isn't present in you. 
is identified by great joy, freedom over besetting sins, boldness to worship, power and service. So very simply, if those aren't there, then maybe it's time to find a place of prayer and by faith and with humility say, God, as I've journeyed through life, I've leaked and the fullness of the Spirit isn't present in my life. I'd ask you to fill me again. Fill me. Fill me all the way with your Spirit. So all Christians, I believe, should seek God and ask God to pour out his spirit upon them so completely that they are filled with joy, victorious over sin, bold to witness, and enthused to worship and effective in service. Because the call to be filled by the spirit is both a command in scripture, be filled with the spirit, so it's something we're supposed to give ourselves to, but it is also a privilege. This is not a have to. It's a get to kind of thing. So... What I've done right there in the business we call is uh, stirred up a hornet's nest. That's what we've just done. And that's okay. Because the truth is the things of the Spirit are a little messy. They're not as neat and tight as I'd like for them to be. So what I've tried to do here is give you both freedom to pursue all that God would have you have. And at the same time not release pandemonium in our congregation. But if you ask me, you didn't, but here I am, I got the microphone. Let me tell you what I'm praying. God... More of your spirit. More of your spirit. And the leadership team will manage the goofy. Give us more of your spirit. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit quickens your heart, makes it alive and soft to his full work, because I would love to have a church overwhelmed with the joy of following Jesus. And I'd love for our congregation to be marked by boldness to witness. Now, Pastor Will's going to come up, and we're going to deal with three quick questions and kind of rapid fire, and then we're going to take some steps together uh, as a congregation. Hey, if you have questions after these, feel free to email me, and I'll do my best to engage you in a timely manner. But, Will, you got a couple questions for me? All right. A few questions. Uh, Number one, how do you know if you are filled with the Spirit? Well, rather than pointing to an experience when it happened and an overflowing emotion, look to what the Bible indicates will be signs that you're filled. Again, um, overwhelming joy, power in service, boldness to witness, victory over besetting sins. And if those things aren't present, then it's time, I believe, to press in again in a fresh way. What do I do when people close to me are not filled with the Spirit? Yeah. Um, You know, in a church, it always goes better if everybody's leaning into God together. In a family, it goes better. The truth is, is that's not going to happen consistently. Um, there may be sweet moments when the people you're doing life with closest are, but I would say two things. I would make it a matter of prayer. Let me tell you who wants more than you want for your kids, your spouse, your coworkers, your church to be filled with the Spirit. More than you want that, and you may want it deeply, is God wants that. God actually wants to fill everybody, all of his children, all the way up with his Spirit. So I would go to God and say, God, I can't fill anybody with your Spirit. There seems to be a hardness sometimes to the things of your spirit here. And I'm not judging, but from what I can see, there doesn't seem to be joy. There doesn't seem to be victory over sins. They don't seem to press in. We seem to be dealing with the same things. God, would you by your spirit release all that you want to release to do your work there? And however you want to use me, use me. And come with a posture of being willing to be served as opposed to a posture of making something happen. You can't. And I tell you, as a parent, this is my biggest frustration sometimes spiritually is, I do have a sense often what God needs to be able to do in my kids, but I am completely powerless to manufacture it to happen. 
But what I'm not powerless to do is to go to the one that has all the power and talk to him and ask him to do it. In other words, I can't save my kids. I can't make my kids love Jesus. I can't make them make a wise decision here. They're virtually adults now. But what I can do is I can go to the one who has the ability to love them deeply and move on their hearts and create environments where it's likely to occur. I can do that uh, quite a bit. So that's what I would encourage you to do. Yep. What role does speaking in tongues and prophecy have in the local church? Yeah, so we dealt with that a little bit here. I think that speaking in tongues and prophecy have a role in the church, um, but I'm hesitant to manufacture what it must look like. Uh, on the mission field, I can tell you there are regular stories where it seems like people who didn't learn languages spoke in languages that were understood. Those stories happen all the time. And in local church bodies, there seem to be an occasion where people give messages in tongues and they are interpreted. And when they are, the body is encouraged. So I would say there is a role, the mechanics of which in our church, and this is just our churches, other churches may do it differently, the way we've expressed it here today, that with tongues... You speak to edify yourself in our public services. And so, you know, you don't raise your volume louder than the activity in the room. And then with prophecy, if you have a word for the congregation, you share that with one of our leaders who have the role of speaking to the congregation. If you have a word for an individual, you soft roll it as a, I think, but I don't speak with the authority of Scripture in this matter. So I'd like to offer you an idea. If it's the Lord, I hope it encourages you. And we, we would bless that all day long because you're not then providing um, authority from your own words as a fallible human being. So that's how it works in our church. Is that all of them? We got a couple more. Should I seek to speak in tongues or give prophecies? You know, that, that's a great question. I, I want to give a modified yes in the sense that you're supposed to seek the spiritual gifts. But I wouldn't get all upset if God chooses not to use you in a particular gift. The Bible makes it clear, not everybody speaks in tongues. Black and white, that's no interpretation. Do all speak in tongues? Paul says, no. So not everybody's going to. I don't know what the percentages are, but if you want to pursue that and pray for that, okay, do it. In our church body, that would happen when we have an identified interpreter, if you wanted to raise your voice to speak to the group, all right? Um, in terms of prophecy, yeah. In fact, seems like Paul elevates prophecy and actually says we should seek to prophesy. And prophecy primarily in the Bible is to speak the word of God with boldness, not so much to predict the future or read somebody's unique situation. Um, but yeah, pray for that stuff and then approach their exercise incredibly humble and teachable. That's what I would do with that. Any more? Yeah, uh, last one. What is the role of prayer in reaching the wayward and lost? Yeah, so one of the gifts we haven't talked a whole lot about that really brings me right back to the table is there seems to be a, a gift of evangelism, and then there seems to be, in films of the Spirit, power and boldness to witness. So I would say there are two gifts that I'd like to highlight in our church over the next two weeks. And some of you have these gifts, and you don't know because you haven't explored them yet. But the gift of evangelism is that God tends to use you pretty often to help a person have an encounter with Jesus that leads to salvation. There's a lot of ways that happens. Sometimes people speak, sometimes they act, sometimes they serve, sometimes their light is just a witness. But you have a unique, it appears, spirit-inspired ability. And the truth is, is some of us in this room have that. And often it looks like you're effective at bringing people to church where the gospel is preached. Sometimes you're effective at praying with people outside of church, and they have moments of spiritual interaction with God, often leading to salvation. 
But over the next few weeks, I'm praying specifically that God would elevate the gift of evangelism in our church. And then on food truck rally, people would come, and here's the metaphor, effectively we will have pulled up a seat to the table for them. And so they'll eat physical food, but ultimately they'll have a chance to engage spiritual reality in this church. We'll nourish, they'll nourish their bodies physically, but they'll nourish their souls spiritually. The, the second gift is the gift of intercession. That is the gift of prayer. Believe it or not, the most powerful force in a church's life is not eloquent speaking, great programming. It's the power of prayer. And when a church prays, and God has given some of you the ability and the giftedness to pray with power and effectiveness that others of us don't have. But when a church prays together and asks God to use it to reach the community and to serve a community and to use it as a voice of the gospel, it's amazing the power and the energy that can happen in in a body when that happens. So I'm asking God to give us in our congregation a renewal and an emphasis on evangelism and intercession. So the word intercession is this, I pray for others that God's work would be fully done in their life. So intercessory prayer gifts, you don't necessarily need to be visible in that. You often are in your, what is called the prayer closet. You're kind of out of the way, out of the public, and you're praying for God to do his profound work in our body. And by the way, if you're at all stirred that way, can I be honest with you? We need you to be a prayer warrior. We need you to, because we're going to be ready in terms of clean bathrooms and prep and message and Will and the band's going to have practiced. But none of that softens a human heart to the things of the Spirit. Only the Spirit of God softens the human heart to the things of the Spirit. Now, he'll often use things like hospitality, uh, preached word, and worship. He often will. But at the end of the day, it's the Spirit of God working. So more than anything, what our church needs for the next few weeks is prayer. Because in a couple of weeks, a lot of people are going to be here, and they have some inkling maybe that they need God in their life or they need to return. But at the end of the day, the best we will offer is a date. But we can't make them fall in love with Jesus. It's the best we can do. And this metaphor of the table and the empty seats is exactly the metaphor I want you to have in mind. God, you prepare us a table where you say everything we need in life, all of the nourishment we need to survive, to thrive, is available through you. But there are empty seats at your table. So God, would you fill them? Would you use our church to offer an empty seat to somebody so that they can pull up a chair and feast on all that you have for them? That's how I'm praying about these things. Will, were there any more questions that came in? Well, guys, I wanted to thank you for that. Why don't you grab out your Connect card? And uh, sometimes when you talk, like we've talked, it stirs up questions, and that's fine. And Sometimes it stirs up skepticism, or sometimes people wake up to, you know, I didn't know this church was like that. Um, I, I hope your experience actually makes you want to lean in more to whatever God has for you, and that the questions, while they're valid, don't keep you from simply saying to God, God, whatever you have for me, that's what I want. And most of all, I pray that if you're in this room and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you would take next step A which says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. So the Bible says if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you can have one. You can literally acknowledge that the work he did for you on the cross and in his resurrection is the vehicle by which you have a relationship with God, that you can't earn it. You have to trust the work Jesus did for you. We'd ask you to take your pen and check next step A that says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. If you want to do that today, I'm going to give you a chance to pray and then put your card in the offering bucket when it comes by at the end of our service. The next step B says, today, uh, I want to be baptized on October 13th or December 8th. If 
you haven't been baptizing on public with your faith, we answer your questions and get you started in the process by checking the box. So just check that, and a member of our team will be in touch with you. Next step C says, I want to pray this prayer each morning this week. Father, give me a spirit-inspired burden for. Now listen to this. I've given you room here to write the names of some lost or wayward people that you love. You would simply use the space in the box right next to C and put one, two, or three names. It says, God, I want you to give me a burden for them, and I want you to empower me as a servant to help, and again, those same names, to help them turn towards you. So God, give me a deep spiritual burden. Here's a name on my heart for Robin. And God, would you use me however you'd like to have Robin turn towards you? All the way. Now, if you'll put those names there, between now and our food truck rally, I'm spending an hour a day simply praying for names. I'm going to pray that God, by his spirit, would work in their lives. So if it's your son, your daughter, your grandparents, your neighbor, your co-worker, I'm going to give myself to prayer an hour a day for the next two weeks to pray for these names. And I want to pray for the people that God puts on your heart. If you can't think of them today, you can email them to me. And I'm going to pray every day. And then our staff is going to pray every day for people. So write those names down. Next step D says, hey, I'll help uh, prepare for the food truck rally um, on September 4th or 5th. And so you can just write the, the date there and you'll get a communication. And then in that communication, it'll tell how we're going to get our building ready so that our hospitality is on display. And the next step E says, hey, I'll help host a small group in the fall. When our guests come, we want to have a handful of groups quickly that they can join. Because we know that if a person gets friends at church, that can happen in a small group, that the likelihood they'll stay along long enough to grow is higher. And so we need hosts. If you feel at all inspired to do that, check the box. If you have questions, check it. We'll answer. So why don't you put that card aside. If you call this church home, I want to give you an opportunity right now to give back to God a portion of what he's blessed you with. So we have some folks that are coming forward to receive your tithe and offerings right now. And what's been on my heart as it relates to the finances of this church lately is, is that there's a bunch of people in this community that don't know what generosity for the things of God looks like. So one of the reasons I'm excited to have so many guests come through our doors over the next few weeks is for some of them, what's going to happen is, is they're going to turn on to the things of God, and God is going to help them leverage their resources so that more people can experience God. Now, I'm not talking about it's always going to be in our church. Some people will give to things of God outside of our doors. Some will give to things of God inside our doors. But what will happen is, for some people, and it might be your friend, it might be your son or daughter, they're going to get the joy of knowing that God will use things like dollars and pennies given to the work of God to make an eternal difference. And that just jazzes me up. There are people who are not yet in this church who God wants to use in the gift of giving. And when they do it, more people will come to Jesus because of their generosity. And I'm just excited about that. And I wanted to say to you, if there was ever a church that I've ever been a part of where the gifts of generosity are on display, it is here. If there's ever been a church that understands what it is to create a warm and welcoming place that I've ever been a part of, it's this one. So I'm so excited for your friends and your family and your co-workers, your schoolmates to come be a part of our big day. And I hope that they pull up a full seat to the table and they get past the appetizer and they feast on all that Jesus has for them. Let's pray about our next steps on our offerings right now. Father, thank you so much for the work of Jesus. Thank you, God, for using our church. 
Lord, I pray that you would do something by your spirit that I can't do. God, would you wipe away confusion and doubt that would block us from being full to anything that you have for us, to being fully open. And I pray, Father, that by your spirit there would be receptivity, there would be an openness, that the truth of your word and the truth of your spirit would conspire to fill us all the way. Father, I pray for a revival of joy. I pray for power over besetting sins. I pray for boldness to witness like never before. God, I pray there would be power in service. Lord Jesus, fill us all the way with your spirit. And Lord, would you take our gifts on our next steps as well? Cause them to go far and wide for your glory. We pray it in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. Amen and amen.